Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty pod with me, Rich Cooling. Um, got another fantastic show lined up. So joining me today, uh, another of the main men. So it's Stocks. How are you doing, Stocks? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's weird to record uh, behind the curtain, this is, I don't even know, what, it's Thursday. We're recording Thursday evening um, <laughs> and it's weird to be recording on a Thursday. So it's a nice change for me towards the end of the week. And it's great to be on the pod, you know, big fan and I've edited your stuff and listened. But this is, I mean, to be fair, I'm not, not first on, so it's a little bit of a knock. But we'll, we'll talk <laughs> no, I'm joking, Rich. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. No, it's fantastic to have you on, and you know, I, I opened it up to everybody, and uh, and you, you you said that you wanted this topic, so uh, so that's why we're getting you on third. Um, but it's been fantastic <laughs> working our way through the five yard family. As I said, we've got um, I think it's Rob coming on next week, and, uh, and yeah, re- really enjoying getting you guys on and uh, and fully integrating. Um, as I said, as, as part of the family, it's been great. So, um, so diving into this week's um, kind of topic as such. So we're going to play a little game of, of would you rather? So the idea is basically um, I'm going to give stocks to players that are perhaps relatively close in kind of ADP or, or perhaps um, I think shed some light in terms of sort of thought process around which play you'd rather. Stocks is going to give me which play you'd rather, quite frankly, and, and then we'll go from there. Um, but before we kind of dive into that stuff, so I mean, in terms of, I guess, your dynasty exposure, how how much do you kind of play? Are you, I know, primarily sort of redraft focused? Is that what you'd say? Or? Oh, man. I mean, we, everyone's now aware of how many leagues Murph and I were in last year. And I, I'd say there was probably more redraft than dynasty, but I'm also in quite a lot of dynasty leagues. I mean, we have 
unfortunately had to scale that back a little bit just because we sort of said yes to too many people and it, it all got a bit too much like uh, everyone did with redraft we did a little bit with dynasty in lockdown one so got a fair bit of exposure but i've only really been playing dynasty for three years i think my home dynasty league started three years ago and then we also murph and i then started another home dynasty league with our sort of other friends from the nfl group that we know and maybe there was one more from sort of the podcast world and that was all i had for three years until last year when murph and i joined and started a couple more and so it's not i'm not overexposed in dynasty personally but as a podcast murph and i were in a few too many I think I think you're not alone in that. I know. I, uh, <laughs> so lockdown one, it was yeah, twiddling thumbs, looking for things to do. So exactly. uh, certainly joined far too many startups. Um, but uh, but yeah, keep, kept kept me entertained at the time. So um, so I guess dive, diving straight in then. So we're going to work through this in kind of positional order. So it'll be quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Um, so the first first would you rather up is going to be. I think probably the, the hottest topic at the moment for me in terms of kind of dynasty circles is going to be the QB2. So that is Josh Allen or Kyler Murray. So where are you leaning here, Stocks? So when I got the show doc uh, the other day, I initially thought Josh Allen. I've got loads of Josh Allen in my dynasty leagues. He's what I built my foundation on two years ago in several of my quite successful leagues. So I'm going Josh Allen. And then when I sat down and looked at it and looked through who had good years last year, who didn't have such a good, I mean, they were both pretty good last year, let's be honest. But when I thought about it, I thought Josh Allen consistent, did it all, all year his worst week last year was 16.1 fantasy points and he was only under 20 points three times. So if you're after consistency, then Josh Allen was the guy. But then when I looked at Kyler, he went under 20 points five times. His worst week was against New England where he had 8.9 points. That does exclude his week 17 appearance where he came in um, when he wasn't fit to start the game, but they brought him in because they were losing, I think, if my memory serves correct, in week 17. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... The first half of Kyler's season was ridiculous and he was on an, an absolute tear. And then he got injured and the injury wasn't the reason. And then it was the reason why he had a bit of a downturn. So <laughs> is he going to be all right next year? So I'm literally on the fence with this one as to where I'd want to go. And I think maybe in Dynasty, I'm going to go Kyler over Josh Allen, but I would be happy with either. I know that's such a cop out of an answer but <laughs> it's nice nice to start off the uh the pod with uh you sitting on the fence on the first one <laughs> okay well i'll I tell you what i'll come off of the fence and i'll come off of the fence for one reason and that's stefan Diggs and the fact that he stood on the field when the chiefs were getting celebrated as the champions Diggs was the only other person not a chief on the field and stood there and watched the whole thing and i think his season with josh allen was so good that it can possibly get better next year and that's the reason I'm taking Josh Allen because I think Stefan Diggs is sneaky good for sort of top three, top two, maybe even number one wide receiver next year. Ah, fantastic. Well, I think, you know, as you said, it, it's not a bad choice, is it? It's, you know, mm. you, you're, you're pretty happy whichever one you go with. I think for me, the the reason I picked these two was that it's almost a tale of two halves of the season, isn't it? As you mm-hmm. said, Kyla had that incredible start to the year 
then got injured and and I think sort of we saw a reduction in terms of his rushing production um and then Josh Allen was um essentially a league winner down the stretch wasn't he I mean that yep. those last few weeks obviously Stefan Diggs was the the wide receiver one through the playoffs but that helped with Josh Allen as well he was absolutely phenomenal um it, I, I ran a poll on Twitter asking exactly the same Josh Allen or Kyler Murray so Josh Allen actually came out 62% of the vote um so I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at that I thought it would be really close um and I just think for me I'm gonna go Kyler purely because I think that he is a better passer than Josh Allen long term and I think that at the moment, Josh Allen has been buoyed hugely this year by Stefan Diggs and Brian Dable. And I worry that he's kind of reliant on that. And I worry if Cole Beasley's getting old, you know, next year could be his last year in Buffalo. I think Brian Dable's probably going to be a head coach in 2022. Um, and I, for that reason alone, I think I'd go Kyler. But as you said, it's not a bad decision, is it? Question, Rich. Yeah. You said it's a tale of two halves, and that's completely true. Do you think, A, lockdown brain has made people a little forgetful, and B, recency bias towards Allen has made more people pick 62, well, 62% of the people pick Allen? If Murray had a better second half of the season, and Josh Allen also had his second half, do you think that would have been closer? 100%. 100%. I think it's the reason why... You know, you see someone like Dak Prescott at the moment, he's being ranked as like QB6, QB7. Now, I appreciate some of that is the uncertainty about whether he'll re-sign in Dallas. But before Dak got injured, he was, I think he was averaging 26 and a half points per game, which is a, a point more than both Allen and Kyler. And I think that people have completely forgotten how good Dak was when he was on the field. And I, I think that's exactly it here, is that Kyler, before he got injured, was producing a you know rushing production similar to only really Lamar um he got injured stopped rushing so much so didn't put up the incredible kind of points that that we expected and I think that Alan as I said had that tear down the end of the year and that's what's in freshest in people's minds quite frankly I also think the fact that Josh Allen is you know he's, he's played in the playoffs he's performed well in the playoffs and Kyler Murray's been sat at home so I think that you know there's also that playoff bump there slightly as well Mm. so diving into the next guys then so moving down the I guess the ADP list so some perhaps older older quarterbacks um so this is going to be Kirk Cousins or Matt Ryan so where where do you kind of sit here I genuinely hated picking on this one (laughs) (laughs) not not a fun pick is it it's it's such an uninspiring choice I mean as good as they both are as quarterbacks and they're sneaky good I mean Matt Ryan should in theory be much better than he was last year with the weapons he had available even without Julio Jones when he was injured Calvin Ridley's one of the best wide receivers in the league at the moment and Todd Gurley obviously tailed off towards the end of the season but they got Hayden Hurst and then I and then Kirk as well Justin Jefferson Adam Thielen Dalvin Cook we saw the emergence of Smith. Of, of Smith. Yeah, I mean, are they both a little bit disappointing? And you're making me pick a damp squib either way. And realistic. So go on to, to to let you behind the curtain and the thought process of picking these two is that I said earlier in the year that well earlier in the off season, sorry that at this point in the year there is 18 quarterbacks that I'm comfortable having 
as my QB1 or QB2 in a Superflex. And preferably, I'd have three of those quarterbacks. Now, Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan were QB17 and QB18 in that. And that's basically my way of saying that I think these two are the last two guys that you're comfortable having as a, a QB2 in a Superflex league. I think after these two, it becomes slightly nervous, should we say, about whether that quarterback's going to keep their starting <laughs> spot through the offseason. And I think that actually at this point of kind of draft, whether it's a startup or indeed kind of roster building, yes, they're not sexy. Yes, they're, you know, they're really uninspiring to pick. But actually you can do a lot worse than these two who are probably going to be on their team definitely in 2021 and probably in 2022 with the way their contracts are structured. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of, I guess, the reason why it's there to to see where you sort of lean in these two uninspiring choices. So this was a difficult one because, A, talking about ADP at this point in the season to me is madness. Because I think if anybody <laughs> is drafting fantasy football right now, you're either severely stranded somewhere in the world with absolutely nothing to do, or you need a little bit of a head check because <laughs> so much can change. And I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, and people do enjoy drafting now, I know that, but there's just so much can change between now and what we class as essentially the start of the season once people have been drafted into the NFL from college and free agents have happened. Then you start to see a real team picture. And for me, I have to take Kirk here based on safety. If you're going to make me pick one of the other, I don't know whether Matt Ryan will be in Atlanta. I don't know whether Julio Jones will be in Atlanta if Matt Ryan stays. If Matt Ryan goes, does he go to a worse team with worse weapons? Because quite frankly, the weapons in Atlanta were pretty good uh, overall, I'd say. So Kirk Cousins, I I have to take him here because I know Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Herb Smith are all going to be there next year. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, And again, that's... It's a boring way of looking at it, but if Matt Ryan ends up, I don't know, let's say the Falcons cut him and he ends up in Detroit, is that a good landing spot for Matt Ryan? No, I would much rather him at Atlanta. So I'm taking the safety of Kirk. But what what happens if Matt Ryan gets cut or, or indeed traded and ends up in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan and all those weapons? Yeah, okay. I can see that. <laughs> but I guess... I think that you're probably right here in that this is an unsexy pick and that actually sometimes when you're sort of building that roster, sometimes having that unsexy QB2 that, you know, isn't injury prone because neither of them really rush and and kind of develop injuries that way. But you you know you're going to be able to stick them in as your QB2. They're going to get you somewhere between 15 and 20 points on pretty much every given week. And then you can go a little bit sexier with your, your QB3, whether you want to go and, you know, buy a a Taysom Hill or someone like that that has that really really high upside if he indeed is a starter but could end up completely flaming out and not be a starter on the week or something that that, that San Francisco take although we've just seen some stuff on on our chat group this could be completely irrelevant information by the time this go out but if Matt Ryan he could well end up in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan if he does get cut because the rest of their team is so young. They could have Ryan for a couple of years and then pick another quarterback at another point going forward. Just plug that hole for a little bit and it would make complete sense. Yeah, I think, I think and that's the thing with quarterbacks is that realistically, teams in the NFL, you're building around sort of three or four-year windows, aren't you? Yeah. And even though Matt Ryan's 35, 
you'd, you'd expect him to be around for at least another three or four years. So he'd almost be a perfect win-now quarterback for a team like a San Francisco, wouldn't he? Yeah. So diving into the running backs, so it feels like every every person that I've had on the pod so far, we, we talked about um, Jonathan Taylor. So I thought I'd I'd continue it and uh, and see if we can start a, a row again within the, the five-yard uh, WhatsApp chat. So, uh, so the next two is going to be Jonathan Taylor or Saquon Barkley. Jonathan who? <laughs> Jonathan Taylor. No, I... I... <laughs> I just, how is this a question, Rich? How is this a legitimate fantasy football question? I I imagine everybody is going to come after me now for this take, but Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley, they're completely different people. Saquon Barkley is one of the best running backs in the league and as good as Jonathan Taylor is, he's not in the cast of Saquon. Well, I mean, yes, I'm I'm, I'm not going to argue with you at all there with that take. Um, Thank you. ADP would differ. Um, so and that's the, ridiculous. The... It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. like, so the gen- January ADP has Jonathan Taylor as the third running back off the board, and Saquon Barkley as the fourth. Now, obviously, this this was uh, these drafts took place two weeks after Jonathan Taylor and that week seventeen performance. Um, so I think again, you know, we're talking recency bias. I also wonder if. Perhaps people are taking into account, obviously, Saquon's two years removed since he played a full season. Um, he's also on the fourth year of his rookie deal next year, whereas Jonathan Taylor's only on the second. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I don't... It, it is a ridiculous question in that it's, it's Saquon all along, but for me, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm complete. I don't, and I would love to have seen the results of a Twitter poll on this percentage wise. Because if the ADP is this close, then surely the Twitter poll would be more in JT's favour purely based on recency bias because of what we've seen. I just think if you're going to pick one of the two, you're going to pick the guy who was touted as a generational talent at running back when coming out of college. And as good as Jonathan Taylor was at Wisconsin, and we saw him do what, 6,000 yards, 2,000 yards in three seasons running. It's Saquon Barkley is as good as anybody in the league when fit. And the ACL was a, an ACL takes anybody out for a season. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's, it's all Saquon Barkley all day for me here. And I think if you're getting him behind JT in ADP at the moment, you are pulling the pants down of anybody who drafts <laughs> Jonathan Taylor ahead of Saquon Barkley. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe this is a, uh a note to say go out and buy Saquon because um, yeah, the window's probably about to close once as soon as he sees the field again, that price is going to skyrocket because every time he's been on the field, he's been phenomenal. Let's be honest. The only reason I would take JT here over Saquon in dynasty is if somehow I'd managed to accumulate another pick before this or this was a point in, in a trade, perhaps it was either Jonathan Taylor or Saquon Barkley that was being offered for somebody on your team. And you had basically had, you had an older running back already on your roster and, and you could either have Jonathan Taylor or Saquon Barkley. The only reason I might take Jonathan Taylor at that point is purely based on he's only in the second year of his rookie deal and Saquon's a little bit older, but otherwise I'm, it would have to be Barkley. Yeah. What I would say, though, is that Saquon being a first-round pick 
obviously gets that fifth year option. So he's going to be, yes, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2023, but Jonathan Taylor's going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2024. So it's only really one year difference on the contract. Um, I appreciate that because he was such a high pick, Saquon's probably going to be re-signed before he gets that fifth year option. But um, I think it's, yeah, as you said, it's, it's mental that it's this close. <laughs> So then the, the 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 next running back. So it feels like, I'll be honest, I've been having this conversation for the last two years in terms of would you rather Josh Jacobs or Mark Sanders? And I'll be honest, my opinion has not swayed at all. Um, but I'd be very intrigued to hear yours. So where are you going? Um, so Nick wrote a really good piece about Josh Jacobs or Miles Sanders. Uh, maybe last off season it must have been like right at the beginning of last off season and he had a load of stats and stuff down on it and it was a really interesting outcome I don't actually remember who who won that but I remember the argument Nick put forward was was really good and again this is a case of what happens now in Philly because yeah. had Doug Pedersen still been there this would have been hands down Josh Jacobs all day for me. And I'm still saying Josh Jacobs over Miles Sanders if I have to have one or the other, purely because of the volume we've seen Jacobs get as a Raider, whereas Sanders hasn't shown that he can be that guy because of the RBBC that Philly have used. If if he was that good a talent, surely you move away from that committee prospect to unleash your star running back, as it were. So... But then what happens now? There's a, there's a new head coach in Philly. Does Sanders get the whole ball and run away with it? So I like I like the safety of Jacobs. I know what I'm getting with Jacobs and volume is king with running back. I mean, you can plug anybody in as a running back and if you give them enough volume, Tom said it on the pod on, on Monday, anybody can really play running back if you give them enough touches so if you give Jacobs the touches we know what he's going to do with them so the safety of Jacobs is where I'm going here yeah the only the only counter to that is I said that if, if he gave me enough touches I think I'd snap after one so I'm not sure I'd be able to put up any volume <laughs> um, but I think with this one it's it's a ceiling floor play isn't it in the I think Josh Jacobs has got a much higher floor because we know that he's not got much competition. He's gonna, you know, he's shown Gruden through two years is, is gonna give him the volume on the ground. Yeah. And I think he's going to, in a worst case scenario, give you that fifteen points a week, just just be a solid, you know, fringe RB one, RB two. You don't you don't feel great about starting him, but you don't feel terrible, happy days kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Miles Sanders is, you know, he's got the potential if if we saw him get a full workload in Philly if we saw that offence firing, would you be gobsmacked if he was a top five running back next year? We've, we've seen over stretches of his, you know, the end of his rookie year, when you put everything together, he, he looked electric and, and put up points to be a top five through that stretch. But if the Philly offence doesn't take a step forward from where it was this year, you know, if they do go with Carson Wentz and he regresses again, you could easily see you know, something like this year, Miles Sanders was the, you know, RB22 this year and, and you wouldn't be shocked to see him even further down the list next year if the Philly offence doesn't rebound. Yeah. Um, and I think it says a lot about kind of where your, I guess, appetite for risk sits, isn't it, as to who you'd prefer? 
Yeah, and not only that, if do they go with Jalen Hurts? And we, we've seen running quarterbacks actually hurt running backs' production because of taking the running game away from the running back. So as good as Sanders is, if Jalen Hurts is taking some of that production away, that limits his ceiling, even if he does, even if he is his best self, Jalen Hurts is still going to take some of the damage away from Sanders. So, Yeah, um, and we've seen also on that, you know, I guess the big thing that Sanders has got over Jacobs is the passing game usage. Well, you know, we've seen when Russian quarterbacks come in and take over, there's a distinct drop-off in terms of the amount of checkdowns and, and targets that running backs get. Well, if Jalen Hurts is going to, you know, have a 16-game spell with Miles Sanders, are we going to see a real drop-off in that targets in where he's in a similar kind of passing game usage to Josh Jacobs? It, it will be interesting to see. Yeah, and I think, I don't, know, I, can't, I don't know off the top of my head what Josh Jacobs' passing numbers were per game, but I think if he averages four catches a game, you're, you're pretty pleased with that for, for what you're getting out of Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I think I know, you know, it was it was the big um kind of theme throughout last off season, wasn't it? It was Josh Jacobs was gonna get sixty targets and he was gonna be used more in the passing game. Well, he had forty five targets last year in fifteen games, so three a game. Um, only saw thirty three receptions. So he didn't quite get the volume that they were suggesting. But, you know, it, it's not terrible usage, is it? If you're getting twenty carries a week plus those three targets in the passing game. So I think the the next one for me is my favourite. So this is a case of, I guess, production versus draft capital. Um, So it is James Robinson versus CEH. Um, So before I come to you, Stocks, just to reveal the the Twitter poll. So this is about 400 people we polled um, and 52% said they would rather CEH and 48% said they'd rather James Robinson. Um, So where do you sit? Um, I, I, where where do you sit, Rich? No. Um, why is this your favourite? Why is this your favourite? Because I think I think it says a lot about kind of what you what you as a kind of a dynasty, I guess owner, um, kind of values. Are you, are you looking at the undrafted free agent who came in with you know no hype, no draft capital, but saw huge volume in year one and and absolutely produced? Or would you rather the the kind of shiny, highly drafted rookie that you know we had such high hopes he was a you know a top five overall player in kind of preseason ADP, and yet has somewhat underwhelmed in year one. The Chiefs have brought in kind of additional kind of options into that backfield through the season and. You know, who would you rather have going forward? Is it that draft capital or production? So I drafted CH twice as my first overall pick in a rookie draft. And at the time, it felt like a tremendous move. And now I'm starting to think I should have taken Jonathan Taylor. I don't know. I'm not bailing on CEH for that reason. But as we've seen, the Chief brings bodies into the backfield is that a thing we're going to see going forward? Are the Chiefs going to be running back by committee? And as good as CEH is, they're going to limit his exposure to prolong his career because they know what he can do. And by prolonging his career as a running back, keeping him with Patrick Mahomes, keeping Hill and Kelsey going as long as possible, is that the perfect recipe for Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl? And then with James Robinson, my only concern with him 
is will he be the running back in Jacksonville next year because of the amount of draft capital they've got? Now, they've got so many holes, it would almost be stupid to go and draft a running back, right? But yeah, 100%. we've seen, you know, we just have no idea what Urban Meyer is going to do. Now, if Trevor Lawrence, something happens and he decides to do an, uh, an Eli Manning and not go to the Jags, then he's going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar, basically. We've seen what he did for Travis Etienne. And as good as Travis Etienne is, he's no Najee Harris for me. I think Najee Harris is a much better running back than Travis Etienne. So will James Robinson get some of that magic fairy dust from Trevor Lawrence and become even better? We've seen, like you said, we've seen him perform with the volume and maybe he was overused towards the end of the season, got a little bit banged up and tired. But a lot of that was the Jags just weren't very good. And and can they turn it round with some of the weapons they've got? Trevor Lawrence, a better defense, new head coach. I think of the two, I want the upside of Robinson compared to an unsureness on CEH. If that unsureness, I don't even know if that's a word, but <laughs> we'll it make is it up. Now, it's fun. I've just added it to my vocabulary of ninety-five percent made-up words. Um, yeah, it's I, I, I want Robinson over CEH here, and I feel dirty for saying so. I think for me, if if there hadn't have been a change in regime in Jacksonville. You know, the, the previous coach staff, James Robinson was on a, I think it was almost a 90% opportunity share in that offence, which is unheralded. And if that had been the case that they'd been brought back this year, I'd have felt so much more confident saying, yep, yeah, James Robinson. I just, that nervousness of new regime, new head coach, new GM, as you said, I feel like they'd be stupid not to roll with James Robinson but I feel like so much of his value came because of that incredible workload um, that it certainly got me nervous about it. The thing that concerns me with CEH, okay? So this is maybe like one of my favorite stats for the year. So CEH last year in week one had six goal line attempts. If, if you remember that week one game, kept, kept giving it to him <laughs> on the goal line, he couldn't get it in. How many goal line attempts do you think he had for the the other 15 games in the regular season? Oh, I have no idea. I don't think it's many. I don't think there's many times the Chiefs get to the goal line and have to pound it in from sort of five yards. I'd be interested to know what that stat is. I think the Chiefs score more of their touchdowns from further out. So based on that complete guess of knowledge I've just made up there, I'm going to go with three. So he had zero. So oh, I was going didn't... to say zero, but that seemed far too <laughs> obvious. So he didn't see a goal line attempt after week one last year. Do you know, did, did the Chiefs have many goal line attempts? I, I, I don't know is the true answer. Um, I can, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't have the stats in front of me to go and search that up that quick. But I just think that that shows, you know, they brought in Lev Bell. They, you know, Daryl Williams was has been used. I just think that there's a concern around that that kind of usage. But mm-hmm. to me, I'm a stats guy. I live by draft capital is king. And for me, I, I think I'd still go CEH over James Johnson. As, as difficult as it is for me to say, I, I don't think it's a great option, to be honest. Um, it makes me quite happy that I went Jonathan Taylor and CeeDee Lamb over CEH and start drafts and rookie drafts last year. So... Mm-hmm. A pat on the back for me for that one. Well, well played, Rich. Well played. 
Um, the, the next guy, I, this is a guy that I, I can't pat myself on the back because I, I, I missed on him, shall we say. Um, but it's another rookie. So it's Justin Jefferson or AJ Brown. Um, so, yeah, again, another, another Twitter poll. Um, fairly overwhelmingly Justin Jefferson. So he saw 65% of the vote to AJ Brown's 35. So where do you sit here? Oh, I uh, So later on in, in the podcast, when we get to the, dy- the dynasty uh, abandonment, <laughs> I wanted to put I, I wanted to put AJ Brown in there purely because I went through my teams on my personal dynasty teams and I don't own him anywhere, literally nowhere. But then I love Justin Jefferson and I have him in a couple of places. And in my main home league, I won it to, not the year gone, just the year, the year before that. So I was picking last and the guy before me was even going to take Henry Ruggs or Justin Jefferson. And I had Adam Thielen and I was praying that Jefferson would slide to me because I was thinking, well, then I can move Thielen on, keep Jefferson and, and everything will be all right. As it turned out, Jefferson went and I had to take rugs, which, yeah, it was a terrible <laughs> choice. But that, that was what happened. I, I can't believe this is so far in Jefferson's favor, run on the Twitter poll, because of how much of a beast AJ Brown is. Yeah, this is really difficult for me. Really, and I difficult. think it's you know start up ADP. So Justin Jefferson's going as the wide receiver three. AJ Brown's going as the wide receiver four. Um, you know points per game this year. So Justin Jefferson scored sixteen point eight. AJ Brown scored sixteen point seven. Um, you know they're, they're they're basically neck and neck in terms of whatever stat you look at. They're they're two of the most efficient wide receivers um, in terms of yards per route run, yards per team pass attempts, all of those kind of efficiency stats. I guess the question is, is who do you think will be able to continue being incredibly efficient with their touches kind of moving forward, isn't it? That's such a difficult one as well, because normally of something like that, you'd think that the team with the better running back would give their wide, that the running back wouldn't do what they did the year before and their wide receiver would, would get a bit more work. And yet we've got Dalvin Cook with the Justin Jefferson side, Derek Henry with the AJ Brown side. Oh, just, uh, Rich, I, I genuinely don't know where to go. <laughs> I, I think for me, it would be the Justin Jefferson side based on the Tennessee efficiency is just too much still. I think they're still way too efficient to what they should be. And the fact that AJ Brown is, is recovering from dual knee surgery. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, played played thirteen weeks of the year requiring knee surgery. Which, yeah, when he can be a wide receiver one in points per game from that point, when he's yeah. got two bum knees, is uh, is pretty scary, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I I would literally, if you gave me a a pot with two guys' names in it on a ball in each one, and I had to pick a ball out, I'd be happy with either. But I think maybe the youth and the uninjured knees of Jefferson is where I'm going to go with this one. Yeah. I think I'm I'm AJ Brown, but my my thought process is is that Arthur Smith um, obviously leaving. Um, I'm a little bit hopeful that that's going to open things up a little bit more, perhaps in the passing game. Obviously, Tennessee were a bottom three passing offense in terms of pass attempts per game, um, and I just think that if that ticks up a little bit um, under the new offensive coordinator. 
that's going to be a few more targets for AJ Brown, which, which could hopefully, you know, if he continues his incredible efficiency, it might be able to tip him up a little bit. But uh, yeah, as you said, it, it's not it's not a bad choice, is it? Uh, on those lines, then, Rich. Obviously, we saw Corey Davis pretty much break out last year. He was obviously draft capital. You said you're a draft capital guy. I think he was drafted seventh overall, right? Something like that. I think he was fifth overall, but yeah, r- ridiculously high, wasn't he? What, what if they do pass the ball more? Is Davis going to see more share based on his capital, or do you think they now have two reliable receivers? I mean, it, it's, it feels ridiculous to call Corey Davis a reliable <laughs> receiver, but he, I think he did. The interesting thing with Davis is that he's obviously a free agent this year. I do. Um, yeah, so I think that, you know, I'm, I'm dreaming of him going to. Uh, I've got a lot of Corey Davis shares. I bought a lot last offseason because he was so cheap, and I was buying on that draft capital. Um, but I, I'm dreaming of him going to Green Bay and being the wide receiver two in Green Bay. Um, but I think it, it will be very interesting. The Titans are up against the cap. They, I think they've got about five million in space, um, so they've not got a huge amount of money to go out with and get Corey Davis. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see whether they decide to bring him back, or, or indeed you've also got um, Johnny Smith is another free agent. So I do think that you're going to see them build around AJ Brown as that offense, um, whether they bring back Corey Davis or, or add another receiver somewhere else. See, Rich, this is why you're our dynasty guy. That sort of in-depth <laughs> knowledge is why I should have taken AJ Brown and I'm ruining my decision. <laughs> well, luckily you're editing this, so you can go back and, uh, and re-record your opinion and change it. Um so the next guy said, so this is, um, so I'll be honest, I've been asking this conversation for the last, it, it felt like I asked this conversation at the beginning of the season last year and then halfway through the season and then at the end of the season. And I still don't think people are getting it right. So uh, I'm intrigued to see if you're, if you're now going to get it right. So, uh, so this is the, the Pittsburgh three, should we call them? So it's Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool. So where are you going here? I don't like, Rich, that there's a right answer to this. I feel like you've, <laughs> you've shoehorned me into making the wrong decision, which isn't fair. Um, I'd like to take a time out and consider my options. I, oh, So I will put my hands up. And last season, I thought with Deontay Johnson being fit, Big Ben back, the defence as good as it was. Obviously, Pitsy is a Steelers fan, and we had discussions about this as well. I was so high on Juju last year. I, I had him as my wide receiver one, I think, going into the season in standard. I just thought he was going to have the season of all seasons because he needed to for his contract and was going to get himself a decent deal again at the Steelers. At the start of the season, obviously, the season happened, and Juju didn't do that at all. I... I was really high on Claypool in my rookie profiles in last year's playbook. People laughed at me on how high I was on Chase. Uh, and it turns out guy's pretty good at football. You were very right on that one. That's absolutely. Is he a big time play guy? Only not sure. And then Deontay Johnson's pretty good as well. This is a difficult pick because of Juju's free agent status hypothetically Rich help me out here do you think Pittsburgh re-signed Juju absolutely not I think he's gone I think he's I think he's 100% gone I can't see a world where you know they've got limited cap resources 
I think that they've got a plethora of options. You know, you've obviously got James Washington as the deep threat to throw in there as well. Um, I think it would be cap suicide if they re-signed Juju, given the fact that, you know, they've, they've got holes elsewhere within the team. Um, and I think Juju's probably going to command somewhere in sort of the 15 million a year range. I think he's absolutely gone in free agency. Okay. Along that lines then, give me a team where Juju lands. Just a hypothetical team where you would think Juju could land and I'll choose from the Juju at that team. So my my dream landing spot, I'm giving this all away because I'm writing an article on this in two weeks. Um, So my dream landing spot for Juju is Miami because I think that he can go to Miami. He will play out the slot. They've already got two established outside receivers, but I think he will go and be the target leader out of the slot, but not have to play outside, if that makes sense. Um, That's my ideal landing spot. I also think you could quite easily see him um, in New York with the Jets. Um, I I, I have toyed with the idea of him going to New England. Um, You know, they've got a huge amount of cap space up there. And I do wonder if with gaping holes at receiver, you could see Bill Belichick go out and get somebody like, like a Juju. Okay. I don't think he's going to Miami, but considering that was where you wanted to put him, I will put him there as the sort of Jarvis Landry role that <laughs> Miami used a long time ago now. Oh, I've got this stupid love for Juju that I don't know where it comes from. And I can hear Murph in my head now saying, don't love any football players. Don't have a guy because it will come back and haunt you. So on that basis, I don't think I should pick Juju, but I want to. I want. I'm going to take Deontay Johnson from, just because Yay. of what we've seen from him. You've you've picked the right answer. Yes, I the right passed. Um, I I yeah. I I just think that he is, you know, volume is king, and I think they've shown that when he is fit, when he is healthy, he is absolutely the the number one guy in that offense. I think. Yes, Chase Claypool is more of your, I guess, traditional alpha X receiver. But I think that Johnson Johnson is, you know, you look at his PFFs, PFF stats, he is elite all over the field. He's a fantastic route runner. Yes, he's got questionable hands, but I think drops are massively overrated. Um, he was the wide receiver 18 this year. He averaged 15 points a game. But I think you also look at that. He averaged 15 points a game. Remember, he left two games in the first quarter, having scored, I think, one point in one game and zero in another. So I think he's a, if you take those two games out, he was like a top eight receiver last year. Um, and I think that this offence for the, the next two years is going to run through Deontay. Um, and I think that you've got Claypool as their, you know, big play. Is he going to be a, a, a down the field threat and a screen screen catch guy? And And that's why I don't buy into... Claypool being, you know, he, he could be what Deshaun Jackson was, I don't even know how long ago we're talking, eight, eight nine years ago, where he could, you know, easily put up 30 points in one week and win you the week. But then for the next two weeks, put up zero or, or like two or three points. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And, okay. and and I think that the uncertainty of Juju, um, as you said, being a free agent, for me, just warns me off a little bit. I think if he finds a fantastic landing spot, Yes, he, he, he could overtake the other two. But um, at the moment, you know, 
current ADP, Juju's the wide receiver 18, Deontay's wide receiver 21, and Claypool's wide receiver 24. So, you know, for me, if I could trade Juju straight up for Deontay, I would, I would absolutely be doing that every every day of the week. Rich, I have a question. This is a Dynasty podcast. Uh, I'm going to peel the curtain back ever so slightly on the playbook. I wrote about Tutu Atwell, wide receiver from Louisville last night. Do you have an opinion on Tutu Atwell? Because one of my knocks was drops, and that's because he was a quarterback in high school, moved to wide receiver when going to the Cardinals. So obviously catching wasn't his thing in high school, so he's had to learn how to do it. So a few things were drops. But you just said drops are overrated. So I like that for Tutu Atwell. I think having said drops are overrated, I think there's a difference in terms of drops. And I think that drops as a wide receiver in terms of kind of coming out as a as a rookie to me is a little bit of a concern because I think it shows perhaps a, you know as you said it, it's a little bit different for Tutu because as you said he's a convert he's not played for wide receiver he's not that natural receiver whereas for Deontay yes he's had lots of drops but you see that the offense and the you know the team still believe in him, and they're still giving him the volume to go out and, and target him a lot. In regards to Tutu, I'm, I'm actually pretty hard on him. Um, I really yes, like Mitch. him. I think he's he's got you know if you look at the the kind of the, the stats side of things, you know he's got a fantastic breakout age. He broke out at 19. Um, he, he's done pretty well in terms of kind of dominator rating and stuff like that. You look at yards per team pass attempt. He's, he's pretty good. He's averaging over one. I think that he a, a lot will depend on draft capital. And I do think that he could potentially be a bit of a steal come May. If he, you know, if he get, if he could get day two draft capital, then I think I'll probably be all in on him come come April May. Um, <laughs> if if he drops to the sort of fourth fifth round, then then I'll, I'll probably be leaving him well alone. Um, but I am very very intrigued. Good, good. <laughs> is is that is that agree with your opinion on him then? Correct answer. You've, you've <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I'm 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 really high on him. Not I'm really high. That's not true. I think he's he's just outside my top ten. But I think as a as a prospect with upside, Tutu's got everything you could possibly want in an explosive guy. I think I don't think his height's an issue. His weight's a little bit of an issue. And we don't know whether he's maxed his frame out wise in muscle regard yet and whether he can add a bit more weight to just stay survivable, if that if that makes sense. But yeah, speed, just everything you'd want from a fast guy who has big, big, big playability. Tutu Atwell is my man. Yeah. So I've currently got him as my wide receiver 13 at the moment. But that is on the preface that he's going to get day three draft capital. If he gets sec- picked in the second or third round, he will probably likely jump up into my next year, which would be put him around wide receiver eight, wide receiver nine. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see where he lands because it's said the, uh, the ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan once said. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the the final the final positional pick. So this is tight end. So um, I've gone with two guys that that played together, um, came out as rookies together, um, and have have kind of been thrown in together 
despite being incredibly different in playing style. So that is um, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Um, the Twitter poll was pretty unanimous in terms of TJ Hawkinson. So 77% Hawkinson, 23% Fant. So where are you here? I'm disappointed, Twitter sphere. I am disappointed. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm excited for this. Go on then, hit me. I'm a Broncos fan, man. How, how am I not going <laughs> to choose Noah Fant here? It's when Murph and I talked about Noah Fant as a prospect on the podcast, Murph was all in because of his athleticism and, and what he did in college. Now, I get he's not the complete package like Hawkinson, but Denver didn't draft him to be so. I think what we've got to remember for Noah Fant as well is Drew Locke has only really played. I want to say 12, 14 proper games in the NFL. And what we need to see is a Drew Lock. I, I mean, I hope Denver don't move on this year. I think there's other things we could do with the picks that would be better for a team. And I really, I think if Cortland Sutton comes back healthy and Jerry Judy, if you have four receivers on the field with Judy Sutton, KJ Hamner speed on the outside or running from the slot and then you release Fant from the line as sort of a block and go as we've seen Gronk do so well I think Noah Fant could be that short range guy who just eats up catches and is a big time red zone threat and I'm, I just don't see how the pole has got him so far Hawkinson so far ahead of Fant we, we saw it in Hawkinson's first year he had one good game I mean, last year was different, but with Matt Stafford saying he wants out and Detroit speaking to over half the league about Stafford, well, well, let, well let's say, I mean, there's there's been talk about Stafford to Denver and obviously Stafford's used his tight end. What does that do for Noah Fant if Stafford goes there? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, I'd, I'd lean Hawkinson purely, I guess this is perhaps recency bias in that, 12 months ago, I was Fant over Hogginson every day of the week. I thought that Hogginson was a better tight end than Fant, but I thought Fant was going to put up better fancy numbers. I guess two things have got me scared is that I don't think that Denver use him correctly. And I don't think that Drew Locke can produce enough fancy relevant players to feed Sutton, Judy and Fant. And I think that Fant comes third in that list, if that makes sense in terms of volume. Um, and I think that you've only got to look at... So I was digging in in the off-season, uh, a couple of weeks ago, sorry, into how Denver actually used Noah Fant. Now, he ran over 700 snaps this year. He lined up as an inline blocker on over 600 of those snaps. He had less than 100 snaps as a wide receiver, whether that be slot or out wide. And to me, you've only got to look at Noah Fan play and he should be being used like a Mike Gazicki does in Miami, where he is essentially a big slot. And I think that if he is going to get used as that, I'd, I'd be really excited about it. But for me, he's just used so much as an inline tight end, which is just not why you drafted him as high as you did. It, it seems slightly confusing. I also... I'd be sickening. Keen- yeah, it is mental. I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this because I was I was kind of championing Albert O as a as a nice little buy 
um, heading into the season because I think people were forgetting about him. Obviously, he was a, a massive kind of tight end in terms of Debbie Circle sort of two or three years ago. Obviously, he had that little stretch in the middle of the year where he was, you know, almost fantasy relevant because of his red zone usage. Do you see him eating into fans kind of production next year if and when he comes back healthy? I think I think you've got to look back to the time when you had Albert O in your Devi teams and, and what he did with Drew Locke, their friendship and how they played together to see just what they can do as a tandem. And I think you'd be almost looking at it with fan-coloured blinkers on if you weren't to expect Albert O eating into fans productivity because what Albert O can't do is block that guy if you put him in 600 times uh, uh, snap sorry as a blocker you're doing something completely wrong as coaching because by the first 25 you'll notice that he can't block anyone so (laughs) there could uh, having heard that Fant was used 600 times as a blocker rather than uh, as a runner a route runner uh, I can see a world now where perhaps they use Fant more as the blocking guy and Albert O as the sort of pass catching tight end, which sickens me to say, but there's, there's definitely something in that stat, you know, and it's worrying to give the other side of it. So TJ Hawkinson, almost identical snap count. He was an inline blocker 463 times and lined up outside either in the slot or out wide 302 times. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's pretty telling, isn't it? Yeah. Which, but what what I can't get is that TJ Hawkinson is, you know, your more prototypical inline tight end. Yeah. Yet Detroit have shown that they're going to be forward thinking enough to move him around and, you know, get in those free releases from the slot. And yet Denver just haven't done that with no offense at all. And that's for me, whilst while I've kind of flipped, as I said, I was team fan. 12 months ago and I'm, I'm absolutely TJ Hawkinson now. I think he's my tight end three at the moment in terms of um, dynasty value. I want to, I want to take an audible, Rich. I want to, I want to join team Hawkinson. <laughs> it's nice, nice that I've persuaded you against one of your Broncos. Well, like, like you said, he's, he's third, fourth in line of receptions anyway. So he's, he's going to be irrelevant. I mean, <laughs> Twitter Just, was right. Twitter was right. <laughs> That it's ne- never happened before and will never happen again. But on this one, they're right. <laughs> so, th- so that concludes the uh, the kind of would you rather. So all that's left, Stocks, is for you to reveal your two Dynasty Island picks. So this is a player that you want on your Dynasty Island um, and then a player that you want to abandon on a Dynasty Island. So where where are you here? Well, what sort of description are you after here, Rich? Because I've got several names that I can give to you depending on description needed. <laughs> no, so I had that question before. My my dynasty island picks. Um I like to build that's this is that's a lie. I was going to say I like to build my my teams around running backs, but that's a, a silly thing to do in dynasty football when wide receivers last longer. But somebody I own absolutely everywhere and I am completely ride or die and now this isn't AJ Green. I've moved off of that train. <laughs> My, my ride or dying dynasty at the moment is Dalvin Cook and 
I love what he does with the football. I am aware that he has an injury history, but last year he proved that he can basically play the whole year and is supremely talented and is in an offense where they are prepared to use him. And for that, I am going to be Dalvin Cook's ride or die until he is no longer playing football. So if I can get Dalvin Cook absolutely everywhere, then I will because I believe that having a stud, one stud running back is essential if you want to be a good dynasty team. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think that's the way to build is around that one stud. Are you concerned about Gary Kubiak retiring and, and riding off into the sunset and, and not being around next year? I don't think so. I think what we've seen from the Vikings over the last couple of years is such a b- good well-oiled blueprint for what they want to do as a football team I think it would have to take somebody very different in mentality to come in and try and change it when it almost works so well if that makes sense you give Justin Jefferson another year in that offense get that that secondary that is so young once that's a bit more tuned in I think it would be silly to move away from what does work for them if I'm honest yeah yeah, and I think you know Mike Zimmer's still there, isn't he? It's yeah. you know it's it's his philosophy around run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. So I don't think that's going to be changing anytime soon, certainly. Um, so who who are you abandoning? So who who don't you want to own in any of your leagues next year? This was a ridiculously difficult question because, because you had so many. Yeah, pretty much. There isn't a guy <laughs> I don't think I own, like apart from AJ Brown. Um, but I can't abandon him because he's just, he's had knee surgery and might need help swimming off the island. So I think, oh, I, I wrote a list and my, my list was Alan Robinson. I don't own very much, uh, but I wouldn't abandon Chris Godwin. I don't own him except in one place, but I wouldn't abandon, but his usage is a bit worrying with how much Mike Evans got targeted in the end zone. And then Miles Sanders, purely because of what we've seen so far. But I, I I genuinely don't have a decent answer for this. You're going to sit on the fence and not give up? I can't, no, I mean, I, of those three, it's Miles Sanders, just because of, of what okay. we've seen. I, I don't want to base my dynasty team around him because it's a concern. I'd rather go and get someone who I know had the workload and, and was going to be productive with it. Fantastic. Well, well, there you have it. We're abandoning Miles Sanders on Island. Murph will be very, very happy, I'm sure. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you ever so much for coming on Stocks. It's been fantastic to have you and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, for, for the people, I'm sure, let's be honest, everybody listening knows exactly where you are, but but, but where, where can we find you? Where can we listen to you? Rich, we don't know that. They might have Googled Dynasty Podcasts in their podcast app. This one's come up and this is the first Dynasty podcast they've listened to. So they don't know that there's another show about just generic fantasy football earlier on in the week from this Dynasty Beauty we're recording right now. They don't, you have to retreat every episode as we've got new listeners. So if you are, <laughs> this is your first episode to Five Yard Life. Welcome. This is the Dynasty edition with Rich Cooling and myself, today's guest stocks. I co-host the five yard rush fantasy football podcast which is with the big man murph he's also been on the show but if you're a new listener you wouldn't know that so go back to the back catalog and check that one out um we are on twitter at five yard rush check out the website www does anyone do that anymore it's just five yard rush.co.uk don't worry about the worldwide web bit 
I'm talking too much, Rich. Try and stop me. And then finally, <laughs> finally, don't forget to head over to Twitter and check out the pinned tweet about the Hickories giveaway we're doing. You've got to follow us, follow Hickories, and tag two friends for a chance to win their Super Bowl food box, which will be delivered on Saturday before Super Bowl. And it's all free. You just have to follow us, follow them, and tag two friends. So if you tell two friends to tag two friends to tag two friends, Hickories would love you forever. Absolutely. And it is an incredible feast. So make sure you go and check it out because, uh, yeah, I'm very jealous that I won't be able to win that. So uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you ever so much for, uh, for giving us a listen. And uh, we will see you again next week. to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.